In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hey, Craig's listeners, Craig here. You're about to listen to our first live Craigslist episode. We recorded this on the Joko Cruise uh, a couple of weeks ago. If you don't know what the Joko Cruise is, it's run by uh, the wonderful musician Jonathan Colton. Uh, and then it's full of stand-ups, musicians, magicians, podcasters. And uh, we got to do this on a Holland America ship, the MS Westerdam, uh, along with our good friend Janet Varney. If that sounds really cool to you, music and comedy on a cruise ship, go to jococruise.com to find out about the 2018 cruise. So for a live episode, your audio is in the hands of somebody else. Uh-oh, you're already saying, what happened? Why is he, why is there a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode? It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Uh, but we fed our recorder into the soundboard for the theater that we were in. And, uh, apparently there was some house music playing on the board, not in the house. They brought down the house speakers, but it was still playing on the board for about the first four and a half minutes of our recording. And then apparently they realized that and then brought down the level of the house music. So it was no longer playing under our dialogue. So I decided to cut out the first two minutes, uh, the Slater Kenny song surface envy is playing under us the entire time. And, uh, I, I love Slater Kenny, but, uh, it, it just didn't feel like it matched with the podcast <laughs> that well. Uh, so what you miss under the first two minutes is merely me introing the show, explaining the concept to people there who might not have listened to the podcast. And I did a bit that was just golden, uh, that everybody was standing on their chairs saying, Oh, Craigslist, my Craigslist. So that's pretty much all you missed. And so I decided to bring it in at the point where we introduce Janet, uh, there is some music playing under it for literally less than two minutes. So that's all you have to put up with. And it's some like techno music. And I kind of decided to leave it in, uh, because I wanted Janet's intro to be in there, but also because it sounds like she's an MMA fighter that's being introduced. Uh, you should know this music is not choreographed with my introduction in any way. It just totally sounds like that. And then about two minutes in, the music will abruptly drop out and you can listen to the podcast uh, normally. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this disclaimer, which means you're about to listen to the podcast. And it is called Dead Poets Society. <laughs> and to help us discuss this movie, we have a special guest... Uh, you know her from You're the Worst, Take My Wife, Legend of Korra, such podcast as Spontanea Nation, and of course her own podcast, The JV Club. Please welcome little Janet Varney. Hello. Uh, just for people listening, Janet just got under the table and I thought she dropped something. And was going away. But now she's here. Yeah. The lady knows how to make an entrance. Well, you know, so there may be some babies in the crowd. You know how babies usually are gone the second you disappear. Yeah. So I didn't know if there were some people that would be like, oh, where 
did she come from? Yes. If What's up, lack, babies? If you lack a sense of object <laughs> permanence, <laughs> lack a sense of object permanence, Janet Varney did not go anywhere. She, she was here the whole time. Here. Yes. Uh, so, Janet, uh, did you have to reacquaint yourself with the film Dead Poets Society? You know, I did. I want to thank you so much for bringing the DVD with you on the Joko Cruise and wrapping it clumsily but sweetly in a daily newsletter. Yes. And leaving it. I think a gym uh, schedule is what I put it in. Yeah. <laughs> a gym schedule. You know, I'm very fit. Um, and uh, and I did. And I I was pretty sure. I thought. And I told you this. I don't know that I needed to rewatch it because, uh, like many of you folks, I mean, I saw it in the theater, um, and it it sort of stuck with me in a very permanent way. Even the first time I saw it, and I feel like I saw it. It was at that age where I would see. You know, you just keep watching your favorite films over and over again, but they don't do so much anymore. Um, and then I just never watched it again for many, 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 many years. So it was good to see it again because, as it turns out, it's one of those movies for me where my whole feeling, my whole relationship to the content of the story completely changed. Like, because, frankly, mostly of my sense of mortality that I did not have when I was younger. <laughs> I felt completely different about it. And watching it post Robin Williams is very, yeah, very sad. Very was difficult hard. as well. It was I hard. think that might be the first Robin Williams movie that I've watched since he passed away. And it was tough. And we watched it here on the cruise ship. Rewatched it mm-hmm. just a couple days ago. I was pretty hungover. They don't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> what was Did your you relationship? What was your relationship with cry, this movie yeah. growing up? Mine? Yes. Uh, I watched this movie obsessively when I was in high school to the point where my friends and I had a Dead Poet Society. <laughs> nice. <laughs> For two days. Because <laughs> it was the middle of winter and we went into my friend Marissa's backyard and set up a little uh, makeshift cave, meaning like cardboard. You dug out a, qu- a cave into <laughs> yeah, the ground. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and yeah, and then her older brother made fun of us so much that we were like, you know what, maybe this is weird. <laughs> what poets do you, did you cover? Do you recall? No idea. No, no. It would memory. be nice if there's an all lady group. It was. So uh, if you had covered all female poets to counteract the male bias of this movie. Man, if only you'd been around then, Craig. <laughs> my life would have been so much better. <laughs> that, of course, is always my role in this podcast of pushing Carla into feminist views. Right. <laughs> I did notice that uh, watching this movie, I was like, where are all the women? Oh, right. There aren't any women in this movie. Uh, but luckily, like, there are a lot of people of color in it. <laughs> <laughs> so much color. It's so diverse. This is, of course, uh, let me tell you about the plot of Dead Poets Society. Uh, it, I believe the year is, I'm going to say late 50s. I don't think it's they... It's never totally clear. They, mm-hmm. It's never totally clear. Judging by cars and songs... I'm going to say 1959, hmm. because they use Wanda Jackson's Let's Have a Party. Uh, there's a song by uh, Professor Longhair in there, and Stranded by the... That's the, not a real Stranded person. in the Jungle by the Cadets. Yeah, <laughs> Professor Longhair is a famous New Orleans piano player. Uh, the, so that would place it around the late, late 50s. <laughs> or like a Jim Carrey character yeah. <laughs> that no one liked. <laughs> How you doing, Professor Longhair? <laughs> and the electric mayhem. Um, uh, but this takes place in an East Coast. Uh, again, the, the location is not that clear either. The specifics are vague, uh, I guess. But I'm guessing an East Coast prep school. 
and uh, called Welton. And uh, it's centered around a, uh, a bunch of senior boys who are inspired by an English teacher, John Keating, played by the late Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And uh, this centers around Neil Perry, uh, played by Robert Sean Leonard, Todd Anderson, played by Ethan Hawke, Knox Overstreet, played by Josh Charles, and uh, Charlie yeah. Nuanda Dalton, played by Gail Hansen, perhaps the, the most famous of those actors. Uh-huh. Um, what Which, happened to Gail? I don't what know what happened he, to Gail. I can't think of a single other thing I saw him in. Uh, oddly enough, he is actually in the next movie on Craigslist. Oh, really? What? Yes. Two back-to-back movies for Gail Hansen. Uh, but he uh, did very little after Dead Poet Society, and he's actually wonderful in this movie. He's maybe my favorite uh, Gail, why don't you character. come on out here? Surprise Gail Hansen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we have him coming in from different sides. <laughs> Uh, when you guys were watching this, did you feel like you couldn't tell the difference between him and Josh Charles? Like, don't yeah, they look they, so much alike? A lot of, they, not only are they all white guys, sweet little peach face white boys, they all sort of look related. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into, uh, something we call Craig's first time. <laughs> Ew. And- <laughs> You were there, Carla. No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, no, this would be my first time watching this movie. This movie was released in June of 1989. Uh, I was nine. I was a sophomore in college. <laughs> and we were close friends. And uh, <laughs> uh, I was going, I was in summer school at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, and I was in danger of flunking out of school. I had flunked a couple courses uh, my sophomore year, and I was doing summer school, and had very few friends, was very homesick, and was kind of questioning whether I should continue to major in theater, uh, which I was doing at the time, and not being cast in a lot, and, and pretty depressed uh, a lot of the time. And this was the right movie at the right time for me. Because it's I, just a bunch of depressed boys. Yes, this is uh, about sad, privileged white boys. <laughs> uh, and But again, the emotional center of this movie is Robin Williams, and this is the quintessential Robin Williams performance in my mind. And I think it created a whole genre of Robin Williams, of maudlin Robin Williams dramedies, <laughs> uh, which include Patch Adams, Bicentennial Man. And Aladdin. <laughs> Perhaps the saddest of them all. Uh, but uh, I wept and wept and wept at this movie. And did I weep the other day? Yeah. Yeah, I still did. This this movie gets me. And uh, I remember seeing it, being blown away by it the first time, and then taking my friend Susie to see the movie a second time. And Susie was a little older. She had been married and divorced <laughs> She smoked a lot. She was very jaded. She was maybe 27, and she was a, a, a senior in college. Uh, and she hated this movie. <laughs> and she was making fun of Robert Sean Leonard uh, after he gets cast in Midsummer Night's Dream. She's like, I got Puck. I got the lead role. Fuck you. <laughs> and I couldn't believe that somebody would not like a movie. 
like that. Like a movie. <laughs> like period. in my mind, they were like there were bad movies that were just laughably bad, and everybody knew they were bad. And there was movies that were pedigreed that had good actors in them and were up for Oscars. And this was clearly one of those movies, and everybody liked those movies. <laughs> and and even at nineteen, like that was kind of a wake up call for me that this was a movie that maybe pushed the wrong buttons uh, in people because. Uh, I will say that it is hokey and manipulative. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I hadn't seen it in quite a while and I, I was shocked by how mani- manipulative it is. <laughs> uh, like I really felt like they made me cry <laughs> at the end. Uh, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, are we spoiling it if I say what happens? Uh, um, we is- do, we heavy, Spoilerized movies on this podcast. Yeah, so if you do not want to know how Dead Poet Society ends, please leave the room right now. Or just go. Ah, la, 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 yeah. La, la, la. For the next Which forty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Robert. Sean- A considerable portion of the audience just left. Uh, Robert. Oh, guys. <laughs> uh, Robert Sean Leonard kills himself at the end. T- I'm sorry. You said, "Oh, like we just spoiled it. We just talked about that." Uh, it's the it, the very last shot of the movie is him killing himself. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be a downer ending. Uh, but it, for me, rewatching it, it came out of kind of it didn't come out of nowhere, but it felt very uh, it felt very dramatic in a way that didn't make sense for that character for me. What I was wondering this time, which I had never wondered before, is to what degree that's supposed to read that he's closeted. I thought the same thing this time when I watched it. Did you yeah. guys think that? Have you seen it recently? Yeah, I I did a, I did a whole thing where I I think I was having a lot of internal dialogue with myself about what I was feeling and why and sort of trying to explain away some of the hokiness like but remember this is a period of time in which it's not okay to like I just was sort of talking my way back to the place that I was when I first saw it kind of when I didn't have to have those conversations with myself because I just bought it hook line and sinker (laughs) but I do think that I think if I think that there's the suggestion that that maybe the theater rep- could represent something even more profound for him and that and that everything that his life looks like it's going to be from that moment on is the opposite of that. I, I think a braver film and something that will come out today would probably address that in a non-coded way, in a yeah. more upfront way. But uh, he has a stern dad played by Kurtwood Smith of RoboCop and that 70s show fame. Oh. That's who he's he great. is. I was like, I know that guy, and he is well cast. He's, he's, a, yeah. he's a great actor. Yeah. And but he's like the perfect scary white bread dad who's like, you're you're gonna go to medical school, and you're gonna you're not gonna be in this play. He keeps saying play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I didn't find out that my son was in some sort of play, playing puck. Fuck you. <laughs> And then uh, they just started saying fuck every other word, <laughs> and it was crazy. Uh, but yeah, Neil can't handle the possibility of 10 more years of school and a lucrative career as a doctor. Uh, so he places his crown of thorns oh. on the windowsill, opens the window, takes his uh, dad's gun, and, uh, and kills himself. But then th- that sets up the last uh, act of the movie, mm-hmm. which is... I forget. <laughs> Carla, we just watched this. I was so hungover. Uh, 
Oh, people, they think he, John Keating is responsible. For you can say it. Just be me. This is Carla talking. What is it? Oh, and even right now, I'm so hungover, you guys. Um, <laughs> not true. Uh, the, 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 the parents and the school, um, have steadily become to suspect, like, they're becoming to suspect more and more that Robin Williams' character, John Keating, is a bad influence on the youth, uh, at the school and in his class, and they, uh, decide to force him out. He's corrupting them with his views on nonconformity. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, they have taken up a club that he started when he was a student at Welton called the Dead Poets Society, mm-hmm. in which they meet in a cave and read Thoreau to each other. Um, <laughs> super corrupted, dark stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really strange the leaps that they take with that. Like, they really, I don't know, he doesn't do anything wrong except for maybe ruin school property when he makes him pull out all the pages in the book. <laughs> <laughs> they all rip out the first page of the book, which tells them, uh, how to rank the quality of a poem. And do you guys re- remember this? There's an X axis and a Y axis. You got some and nods of yes, it. Yes. to not be real. You're supposed right? to, uh, I don't know if that was a real textbook or not. Cause I just, th- to that again seemed like a thing that was like, really? Are yeah. we saying that's how we teach poetry? Are you stacking the deck for maximum hokiness? Yeah. yeah. Because like, what kind of idiot would want to rank and quantify art? <laughs> It's an impossible task. Yes. Wait, you just totally communicated what I've been trying to say for months in two sentences. That was amazing. I'm the bad guy. Yes. I'm the administration. Yeah. And you're John Keating in this. Yes. Can I be Ethan Hawke? (laughs) You want to be Ethan Hawke? Sure. Okay. Sure. Fine, Carla. Now... (laughs) In a moment, we're going to get into uh, perhaps the most popular segment of our podcast, which is called Carla's Quotes, where we go through... Oh, boy. Thank you for Carla's Quotes. Uh, we're going to go through the things that Carla actually said during this movie. But I will tell you uh, <laughs> that a lot of them were along the lines of like, ooh, Ethan Hawke. <laughs> I have to say, I love Ethan Hawke so much. I saw him, I said this on your podcast, I think, on the JV Club. I saw him in New York once and I followed him for three blocks to his house and I know where he lives. And didn't I tell you that I was in, in Paris, Paris late yes. at night one night on vacation and I saw him like huddled in an, a cloak holding like a book of poetry walking down the French court. I was like, wait a minute. This Ethan, is, that's so on the nose, Don't Ethan. even, yeah. <laughs> What is it about Mr. Hawk that does it for the ladies? I think it was just that time. Like, he was just in all of those formative movies of my, you know, like, reality bites. The before movies? Yeah. And then uh, those are really important movies to me, the before Sunrise movies. I love all three of those. And they all, they all, they're 10 years older than I am. So it always feels like I'm about to see something that I'm about to go through when those movies come out. Hopefully we won't, you know, get divorced or something. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. They were like having a tough time in their marriage. Um, Maybe I overshared in that moment. (laughs) I I really hope we don't get divorced, but I really hope we don't get divorced over the podcast (laughs) or while recording the podcast. Um, But they don't get divorced in Before Midnight, but they do have a long ass argument. The entire movie is a a married couple argument. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure I said I saw him in the French Quarter of Paris. (laughs) (laughs) I might have meant Latin Quarter. (laughs) The rest of the quarters, I think, are French. Sure. I didn't catch it. (laughs) What part of Paris were you in? The French part. (laughs) (laughs) Gail Hansen, everybody! (laughs) Uh, Gail is on his way. He was unaware we were recording. He is on another deck right now. He will be here. By the end of the podcast. Uh, but you that would be so cool. <laughs> Let's just live in that moment for a second. Yeah. That'd be yeah. amazing. Can Will Wheaton come in and pretend to be him or something? Yeah. Uh, He's whale watching. She knows. Uh, but you were also like, uh, ooh, baby Josh Charles. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good wife. Oh, right. yeah, no, for sure. Something happened right, to me right. with him on The Good Wife. I didn't have thoughts about him before, but then The Good Wife kind of yeah. kicked something into gear. <laughs> now, of course, Robert Sean Leonard is supposed to be a future doctor, and he played a future doctor on House. Knox, Knox Overstreet groomed to be a future lawyer, and Josh Charles played a lawyer on The Good what? Wife. Isn't that crazy? I didn't even catch that. That's amazing. <laughs> and Todd Anderson probably going, going on to become a writer, just like Ethan Hawke. Uh, and Gail Hansen, of course, flunked out of school. <laughs> I really hope Gail is listening. Uh, uh, you're fantastic in this movie, Nuanda. Um, you looked at me when you said that, and I had a whole second where I was like, was I in this movie? <laughs> there are two blonde bimbo characters who, who show up. Uh, yeah, for real. It's the first time you see a woman in like an hour and a half. Well, and don't forget the girl that he falls in love well, with yes. for no reason. For Knox, no reason. Knox Overstreet falls in love with a girl, Chris. <laughs> Uh, she is the girlfriend of the son of a family friend. And so he goes over to this house that he's been set up by his family to, uh, the Danberries, of course. <laughs> and Chet Danbury is the, uh, Chet. is the football player. And he falls in love with Chet's girlfriend, Chris. And I would say that this is probably the weakest subplot of the movie. Do we agree? Yes. Yes. It's, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> That's all. Uh, Though Josh Charles, of course, is very charming and, and fun in it, but uh, it, it does feel like it's out of another movie. Also, there's it's a moment... It's also like stalkery behavior. Yeah, there's a moment when she... So he's like in love with her. He just sees her and she's beautiful. And he's like, I love you. I'm obsessed with you. He goes to a party with her and her boyfriend. She passes out on the couch and he has a total creep moment where he tries to kiss her while she's passed out. And yeah. that's the kind of thing where you're like, oh boy, 1989... You're like, carpe diem, not this time. Yeah. <laughs> Don't abuse carpe diem, everybody. Yes, exactly. Yeah, seize the day doesn't mean seize the ladies. No, it does not. Yeah. Be respectful of, of who you seize uh, and <laughs> who you do not seize. Um, carpe, carpe is not consent. Is Good not one. consent. Thank you. Uh, this movie was written by Tom Schulman, who won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for this movie. Oh. And are you familiar with the credits of Tom Schulman? Nope. Uh, Tom Schulman, after this movie, went on to write, What About Bob? Yes! <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yes! <laughs> and, of course, the classic, which he also directed, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. <laughs> I don't know that one. That's so weird. So those are very out of character for the writer of Dead Poets Society. I love What About Bob. Oh, I hate What he About Bob like, so much. I like What About Bob. It would Bob. for sure be on my top 100. Really? There's going to be a oh, new sitcom God, called yeah. What About Barb that flips the gender roles, uh, which is in pilot season right now. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Did you go up for it? No. 
Okay. But I know people who did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited to see What About Barb. Should it make it onto the, uh, the fall schedule? I don't know. Am I excited about that? I don't know. Don't be an anti-Lady Ghostbuster. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Every generation needs its new Bob slash Barb. <laughs> uh, and the movie was directed by Peter Weir, a uh, great Australian director uh, who, of course, started uh, with uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Gallipoli, yeah. Year of Living Dangerously, and then moved on to Hollywood films such as uh, Witness, uh, <laughs> Green, <great>. Green Card. <laughs> I think he did Master and Commander. Oh, The Truman Show is a... Did he do Fearless? Who did Fearless? He did. Yeah. He did do Fearless. That movie yeah. was very impactful for me. Uh Fearless, uh, of course, the uh, movie where Jeff Bridges uh, and uh, oh, Rosie yeah. Perez are, are plane crash survivors. Plane crash buddies. <laughs> They're plane crash buddies. It's a buddy picture. Yeah. That's uh, a good movie. Yeah. So, but Peter Weir consistently pretty good. I would say this is a very well-directed movie. I think he's good at war- world building in terms of like the atmospheric qualities and kind of interesting yeah. music. Like it just... They're interesting packages, even if you don't love the movies, I think. There was one shot where it was outside and it was all these birds flying together and then it cuts inside and it's just all the boys like running upstairs. And it's like, oh, they're like birds. I get it. <laughs> also, I don't know if there's, a, I don't want to cut into Carlos quotes. No, please. All, but uh, they use Tuvan throat singing for some of the, <laughs> does anyone know what this is? Of course, Kendra's. Yeah. But I, <laughs> like, I find that so remarkable and I, I love it, and I I remember when uh, this one movie came out. Um, God, what was it? Genghis Blues? Genghis Blues? Yeah, I remember uh, Genghis yeah, Blues. And yeah, the, and 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 uh, that movie did so well in the tiny capacity that it did that Tuvan throat singers from the movie came and like sang an amoeba in yeah. San Francisco, and uh, it's one of the coolest things you will ever experience if you have a chance to hear it live but it's in this movie and i was i of course didn't know what tuvan throat singing was when it came out when i saw it as a a kid and i was blown away i was like that is a crazy interesting choice for this yeah this this the school prep school in the middle you know it was just it's it's kind of awesome i don't know any of the words you're saying (laughs) what is it tuvan throat singing is this thing it's this thing that uh, that it takes this tremendous amount of specialized work on your vocals you can do two notes at once yes you're sort of doing this guttural sound and then there's there's this like high whistle that goes on top of it and it's astonishing and so that's there was that that is in the movie oh it's crazy. cool of course this being the joko cruise there's three hours of tuvan throat singing tonight so <laughs> that's going to be in the vista lounge are we in at, that? Uh, at 11 o'clock we <laughs> we are in that rehearsing. so we really uh, are gonna have to cram uh after this podcast <laughs> uh yeah the score is by maurice jarre uh and there's uh there's there's plenty of bagpipe there's plenty of uh tuvan throat singing some synth in there, so it's uh, it's a pretty eclectic and uh, effective score. Let's get into some Carla's quotes. She's feeling her oats, and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's quotes. Uh, opening shot of the movie, uh, there's a, there's a mural of some boys, and there's some boys in little beanies, and Carla said, "Look at the old timey boys." <laughs> And uh, they're having some sort of uh, induction ceremony. It's the first, you know, uh, well, uh, chapel of the year uh, at the school. And they're all kind of doing a candle lighting. And Carla said, why are candles so creepy? Do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
that's a great microcosm of my life right right there. Is there going to come a point where you become self-conscious knowing that you can't speak uh, extemporaneously in the same way because it's going to end up in Carlos quotes? I think I got nervous at this one because it's the first time I'm going to hear people respond to how <laughs> stupid I am. <laughs> so I think I was maybe. <laughs> You're a gem. Oh, I love you too. I was really hungover, so. <laughs> uh, Carlos quotes just reveal how Carla you are. Okay. I mean, you cannot be more Carla I'll than take that. it. Uh, <laughs> first shot of Robin Williams in the movie. Carla said, Oh, Robin Williams is dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was tough. It was tough it really, right away. I forgot. And then we started watching and I was like, Oh, God. And the, well, this is what it, what it is. Uh, and this is similar to what we talked about with, and, this is odd that we just did Rushmore as well. Like, I did not go to a prep school or a private school. Like, I don't know what it is about oppressive regimes at, uh, at prep schools and a free spirit going up against them that inspires me. But somehow these two movies are, are similar back to back. But I think similar to Bill Murray, where's that, there's that kind of like undercurry of melancholy, undercurrent of melancholy yeah. going on. But he just radiates decency and compassion. Mm-hmm. And the way it, it's actually actually a relatively small part he was uh, oscar nominated for lead actor of like i don't know if it's really a lead performance feels like more of a supporting performance but uh similar to you know anthony hopkins winning for hannibal lecter where he has 20 minutes of screen time or whatever keating of course hovers over this entire movie and i don't know that there's anybody who could have pulled it off pulled it off better than him mm-hmm. yeah i was definitely thinking that i thought oh gosh well, let's play the game of who else could i see doing this and i got nowhere i could only see him doing it uh, apparently Alec Baldwin auditioned for no. it. No. Uh, no, 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 Mickey no, no, no. Rourke was up for what? the part. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. That would have been a totally different movie. Uh, it wouldn't have been poetry. It would have been boxing or something, right? <laughs> Let's put the throw aside and uh, do some boxing. Uh, Whoa. It's a little Brando, but it's... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to prepare the... If I, if I do Angel Heart, I can do Mickey Rourke. Epiphany, it's a beautiful name. But that's still Brando. <laughs> Now's not the time for you to work out your impressions, Craig. <laughs> oh, I've got to get Mickey Rourke down before I finish Dead Poet Society. Just by tube uh, and throat singing. As long as you've got it down by tube and throat singing tonight. Who was the boy? Um, we actually, we actually have to do Diner after this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a Mickey Rourke movie coming up. Okay. Um, Another Carlos quote. Oh, I always forgot Josh Charles is in this. He was part of that group of cute boys. (laughs) (laughs) Who went to your school, I guess? Uh, When the bagpipe comes in, Carlos says, this takes place in Scotland. (laughs) I was wrong. (laughs) Uh, They have some sort of saying that they do at Welton, which is like, tradition, honor, Excellence. There was a fourth thing which I didn't write down. Uh, but Carla said, tradition, honor, excellence, the four most boring things. <laughs> then you said, look at the old timey cars. Just one. There was only one car. One, one old timey car. Uh, then I when- think you're a tour guide for Craig <laughs> through all movies. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Then when Mr. Hawk made his first appearance, uh, Carla said, ooh, hot cha. 
Then he said, this is before he started... <laughs> he said, this is before he started taking baths in Greece. <laughs> I know that sounds like he went to a spa in the country Greece, but I mean literal baths in literal tubs of Greece. Still sexy, though. So you just mean that Ethan Hawke has a healthy sheen coming yeah. off of him. Yeah. He's he's just kind of a greasy and sweaty guy. <laughs> and that's part of the appeal. Um there's a weaselly ginger kid in this movie named Cameron <laughs> who joins the Dead Poet Society but ends up ratting them out in the end and Carla uh, immediately had a response. That kid's mean in this movie. She saw Cameron coming from a mile away. Um when Kurtwood Smith as Mr. Perry makes his, makes his appearance, Carla said, that dad's a dick. He's probably a Republican. <laughs> I felt like all the parents seemed like that in this movie. Sure. They're very traditional. Yeah. You know, tradition, honor, excellence, a fourth thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think you can guess what this is in reaction to. Oh, Ethan, you're such a cutie pie. I love you. <laughs> It's so weird we're laying in bed watching this together and I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. And uh and Ethan Hawke is is kind of the shy, introverted kid mm-hmm. in this. Todd is the character who doesn't feel comfortable uh reading poetry in the cave. Uh and it's only after prompted by Mr. Keating in the class where he makes him improvise a poem mm-hmm. uh about a sweaty tooth madman. It's a that's my favorite scene in the movie, actually. It's pretty great because there's a, there's a Scorsese-esque camera kind of rotating around yeah. them as Robin Williams is yelling at Todd and Ethan Hawke has to close his eyes. Yeah. I think that that is one of the things that still makes this movie really worth watching is mm-hmm. the relationship between Ethan Hawke and Robin Williams specifically. Um. Oh, that moment when he <laughs> says like, Oh, I know I talked to my dad. And Ooh. Robin Williams just looks so confused and sort of heartbroken and worried and wants yeah. to, and sympathetic and wants to trust him but knows it's not true. Mr. Keating encourages Neil to tell his dad about tell him how strongly you feel. Tell him how strongly you feel about theater. Uh, and uh, that's my Mickey Rourke. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Robert Sean Leonard lies to him and is just like, yeah, yeah, I told him. And you can see Robin Williams is like, did you? Did you? You know, uh, it's, it's so well understated. Um, that bird scene you mentioned before, Carla said, Oh no, that's too many birds in one place at one time. <laughs> Is birds on your list of top 100? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. There's only right. a couple, couple of Hitchcocks. Somebody asked me about Hitchcocks recently. Uh, there are two Hitchcocks, including one coming up. This is kind of in the, there was a run of, in the 80s and late and early 90s, a run of unorthodox teacher movies. Lean on me, stand and deliver, dangerous minds. What was going on in America that we needed these inspirational teacher movies? Because we need them even more now, I would say. Betsy. Um, when Mr. Keating first takes the boys out in the hall to show them, he shows them the uh, the pictures of all the boys who are now dead, <laughs> who, who went to Wilton. Uh, and he first reads uh, from the poem, Oh, Captain, My Captain. And Carla said, I was about to say that. Because <laughs> you then said, I've seen this so many times, I know everything that's going to happen before it happens. And then after I said that, I was like, I forgot everything in this movie. <laughs> One of the boys, there's a couple other boys, Pitts and Meeks, whose parts are smaller, but they're also in the Dead Poets Society. Pitts is James Waterston, the son of Sam Waterston. 
Oh. <laughs> exactly the response I was hoping for. <laughs> Mildly interested. Oh, oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, he finishes this lesson by saying, we are food for worms, lads. Each one of us is going to stop breathing and die. And Carla said, except for me. <laughs> uh, you also, it's <laughs> one of the things about watching period movies is that Carla just loves old things. You particularly love things that are set in the fifties and sixties, early seventies, I think. And at one point you said, ah, oh, I want that old timey trash can. <laughs> Good props in this movie. <laughs> props to the prop master. <laughs> uh, and the moment where they decide to have the Dead Poet Society, it's like, who's in? I'm in. <laughs> and that's exactly the sound you made. You went, oh, what a dumb moment. <laughs> and then Carla, who's been reading a lot of Save the Cat, said, and we move into act two. <laughs> That's a screenplay writing book, in case you're wondering. Uh, when Todd says, uh, look, I don't want to read, okay? And Carla said, because you're a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about this in front of a real group of people. <laughs> and uh, they're trying to like whisper and trying to sneak out of uh, the school to sneak away to the cave. Uh, and, uh, there's a, a mean teacher who's like, cut out that racket in there. Uh, and Carla said, that's called a good button to a scene. <laughs> and then they, uh, they, they throw some food at the school dog, uh, so he doesn't bark at them. And Carla said, doggy balls. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> I believe that's in reaction to the food. No, there, we were, yeah, we were hanging out with a dog that we called Mr. B- Big Balls in... The town of Loreto <laughs> has a lot of stray dogs in the town square, including one unneutered dog. Yes. I think, I believe Brandon, that's named him Mr. Big Balls. No, that was Hal. It was Hal, okay. Yeah. Who wants to take credit for Mr. Big Balls? <laughs> I mean, come I'm, on. I'm Why quick to correct you? it. My boyfriend did not say that. <laughs> a lot of work went into that name. Okay, so you're literally referring to the dog's testicles. Uh, I don't know. Why are you asking me questions? <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> I will say Carla's an animal lover. Yeah. Was that the wrong time to say that? No, I love animals. <laughs> Let's get that on record. I would say the main difference between recording this live uh, on a boat as opposed to recording it at home is we don't need to give our dog a bully stick to distract him during the <laughs> podcast uh, because we record in our kitchen at home. Uh, and that's usually good for it to buy about a half hour of time. And then... Usually about midway through the podcast, Benny will come up to the table and do this for the rest of the podcast. You didn't need to know that. Uh, there's a great shot of them uh, in their uh, Welton coats with this fog in the background running through the woods into the cave. Uh, and Carla said, this has turned into a horror movie. <laughs> and then you said, what a fucking creepy place they have in their backyard. It's like a Harry Potter movie. None of that makes sense. <laughs> you were getting tired at this point, I think. Uh, the Dead Poet Society quickly degenerates into just telling like campfire horror stories. <laughs> and Carlos, I guess the poetry didn't last very long. <laughs> and then Charlie Dalton pulls out a uh, Playboy centerfold. And Carlos said, look at those giant boobies. It looks like a mom. 
We have to review these things before you read them. I do not remember saying that. And I would not have given you permission to repeat it. <laughs> what did you mean by it looks like I a mom? I don't know. <laughs> I, want your, I want your Craigslist podcast t-shirts to be Craigslist podcast and then on the back, quote, I hope we don't get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a mom. Uh, what are the... Perhaps the most incongruous scene in the movie is when Robin Williams launches into impressions of Marlon Brando and John Wayne. Yeah. Uh, and Carla said, he has to be Robin Williams just a little bit, like 10% Robin Williams. And oddly enough, uh, I read a quote by Peter Weir about the movie where he said, I had to let him be like 10% Robin really? Williams. Wow. Yeah. So you could do everything that Peter Weir's doing. Yeah. Who's that? <laughs> just kidding. I know. I was listening. Uh, when they have a, another Dead Poets meeting, uh, they're, they're playing like a pan flute or something in the, in the background, or perhaps Tuvan throat singing. And Carla said, what the fuck is that noise? Oh, it was a flute. I thought it was a video game. Here's Carla at the hour mark of the movie. Did I give you enough quotes yet? <laughs> Can I go to bed? <laughs> You see monkeys may be able to relate to this because every night we get a towel monkey by our room steward and that when we were watching this, there was a very creepy monkey <laughs> hanging from a hanger in the corner of our room. And Carla said, do we need to watch this with a monkey hanging from the ceiling? It feels like a horror movie. Uh, cut to Mr. Keating writing on the board in his classroom. Carla He's got really good handwriting for a guy. That's not fair. Uh, there's a big soccer scene, too, where he makes them read a line from a poetry oh, yeah. as they kick so a weird. goal kick. And Carla said, why are they playing soccer? I don't understand how that relates to what's going on. It's a prep school. That doesn't... Okay. So <laughs> soccer. It's a game for rich kids. Uh <laughs> There's another kind of famous scene where Todd, played by Ethan Hawke, gets a desk set from his parents to, it's to show how little his parents care about him on his birthday. They gave him the same desk set that he uh, got last year, and Neil encourages him to let it fly over the roof of the school. And he says, the funny thing about this, I didn't like it mu that much the first time around. And Carla said, that's not that funny. <laughs> Uh, and then Charlie, who has now changed his name to, to Nuanda, because he's kind, of, he's kind of a beat. He's kind of a beat poet, you know. <laughs> he paints his chest red with a, uh, with a lightning bolt. Uh, he plays the saxophone. So he's kind of the hipster of the group. But he brings in two girls to the Dead Poets Society. And Carla said, those women look 40 years old. <laughs> uh, one of them, by the way, Melora Walters of uh, Boogie Nights and Magnolia fame. And the other, I don't recall her name, but she's the lady who played Ray Liotta's babysitter who does drug running for him in Goodfellas. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> then Carla said, I love how the women on this are dumb. That, and of, co of course, by I love, you meant... I disapprove. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we covered this already, but you said that's never a good idea when a girl's not responsive. <laughs> Yeah, that was a tough part to watch. It felt very dated. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, 
Charlie gets expelled from school because uh, he's got a phone because uh, he's, he's submitted this thing to the school paper. It says you'd have girls at Welton. And then uh, he uh, interrupts chapel. Uh, the uh, the principal or the headmaster, by the way, is played by Norman Lloyd, uh, great actor who I believe is still alive. He was as of a couple wow. years ago and he's very old now. He played Dr. Auschlander on uh, St. Elsewhere and he was in uh, an early Hitchcock movie called Saboteur where he's the guy who falls off the Statue of Liberty. I if love you recall. Saboteur. Yeah, if you recall that iconic scene. But Norman Lloyd, long career in Hollywood and uh, kind of the perfect uh, repressive, uh, you know, New Englandish prep school guy. Uh but uh but Charlie has the phone ring and he's like, Hey, it's it's God. It says we should have girls at Welton. Uh and Carla said, How'd he get the phone to ring in church? <laughs> Which is weird. I'm like, who called him? It's just a phone hanging there. It's not yeah, he's... plugged into anything. Did you understand that part? <laughs> I guess I thought maybe with an old timey phone like that, I use old timey because yeah, yeah. I know you like that. Because that's but, a word. <laughs> yeah, but I thought maybe there would be like a little trill thing that you yeah. would actually push to oh. kind of bring I don't know. Pranksters are resourceful. Uh, when uh, Neil's dad is pulling him out of school, he catches him performing uh, in Midsummer Night's Dream and kind of uh, yanks him back home. Uh, and, uh, and Carlos said, yikes, this guy's a nut cop. Uh, nut cop. She, t- <laughs> <laughs> she tried to say nut job twice. <laughs> Perhaps you rem- remember his remembering his role in Ro- Ro- I almost said Rob O'Cop, um, <laughs> which is another another Brandon invention, uh, or perhaps a Hal invention. Uh, it's a movie called Rob O'Cop, which is a family of Irish cops. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't get the words nut job out. <laughs> but I kind of prefer nut cop. <laughs> um, a nut cop, I think, can go around the streets of Laredo neutering dogs. Um, <laughs> and then the dad says, do you know how many sacrifices I've made for you, Neil? And Carla said, what kind of sacrifices? Let's hear the dad's perspective. <laughs> We never do. <laughs> like you were legitimately interested of like, let's maybe hear like what what is going yeah, on with that I think dad. for a second he really got to me and I was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> What's going on in your life, sir? <laughs> and then finally Knox wins over the girl of his dreams. Uh, and, uh, you know, she shows up to go to the play with him and everything's all good now. And, uh, and he's, and, uh, he's like, yeah, I swear. Dead Poet's Honor. And she's like, Dead Poet's Honor, what is that? And Carla said, this, this weird group I'm in where we jerk off in a cave together. It sounds like somebody's being a bit of a nut cop over here. <laughs> Deleted scenes. <laughs> Uh, and, and she did manage to get one in too during the suicide scene. No, oh, I hope this is okay. Uh, it's actually, uh, although it is, it is heavy handed, I do like a couple choices that Peter Weir made here, uh, which is you don't hear the gunshot. You immediately cut to the parents' bedroom and they're waking up and, uh, it, it's really, uh, well done. Uh, but then the, the dad kind of takes time to put on his slippers and Carla said, back in the olden days, you, olden days, you had time to put on slippers in the middle of an emergency. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and then, uh, he comes into the room where, where Neil is dead and you see kind of smoke rising off the gun and it kind of goes into slow mo for a second. You hear like, no. And, but then it cuts. Uh, jump cuts to to them uh, over his body, and it's very very it's, sad. Yeah, very that's sad. the part. Yeah. I I don't know about you guys, but I did feel like I'm gonna be okay. Like I'm not gonna. I don't think I'm gonna cry this time because I was sort of watching him open the window, and mm-hmm. I was sort of going like, oh, he's young. Uh, that's part. Yeah. That was when I was really having those conversations with myself, and part part of that included me going like, I definitely am not gonna cry this time. And then as soon as it got to that very real feeling moment where the father and mother are just, you know, losing their minds with grief immediately. Yeah. I totally lost it and was like, yeah, great me too. And so, uh, because there's been a tragedy at the school, um, the, uh, there's an investigation, uh, the, the boys are worried about getting expelled, but then Cameron kind of rats out Mr. Keating. Uh, and so he kind of becomes the scapegoat for this and is fired, uh, as a teacher and so then uh, the headmaster takes over his class. Uh, and then for some reason, Mr. Keating is allowed in the middle of the school day, <laughs> in the middle of class, in the middle, particularly this one class that he inspired so much, to just kind of wander in through the back. He's like, I came to get my personal effects. Uh, he does say, I can come back tomorrow if you'd like. Yes. He left it open. He's like, in case you want a less inspiring ending to this movie, I can come back, come back tomorrow. He's like, get your things now, Mr. Keating. <laughs> of course. And then so he's like, he's in his office and like he and Ethan Hawker kind of making eye contact, yeah. you know. Uh, and yes, it's, yes, it's hokey. Yes, it's maudlin. But damn it, it it's gets me every scene. time. And Ethan Hawk and Robin Williams play it so well. Oh, and you so see, good. you know, here's Todd's desk. Here's Mr. Keating. He walks right by Todd and you see Ethan Hawk struggling and struggling, uh, and then he, this guy, you know, who's the biggest inspiration in his life is gonna leave the room and he's never gonna get to say to him the thing that he's always wanted to say to him. And then, uh, finally he stands up, Mr. Keating, you know, they made us do it, they made us sign this thing. Uh, and he's like, I, I, I believe you, Todd, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, the headmaster starts yelling at him, you know, Mr. Keating, leave this classroom now. <laughs> uh, and then finally, uh, as that bagpipe theme <laughs> comes back, uh, they stand on the desk one by one and say, oh, captain, my captain. And it's the greatest fucking thing <laughs> in the world, you know. And then all of a sudden you're like, this is the best movie. And ever. all the sins of this movie are forgiven <laughs> in that one moment. And, uh, there's a few things that I like about this. Uh, it isn't every boy. You know, Cameron does not stand up. There's, you know, it's about half the class stands up. And there's even boys that you didn't even get to meet over the course of the movie. And even the one, like, kind of jockish kid who wrote the poem, the cat sat on the mat and, like, high-fived his friend and sat down. But, like, he stands up, like, yeah. looking smug of, like, you got me, kidding. You know? <laughs> uh, and then Robin Williams just adds, like, one, thank you, boys. Thank you. And then all their heads get chopped off with (laughs) ceiling fans, (laughs) which is the greatest sketch in such a long time. Well, if you're not familiar with the SNL short film, Farewell, Mr. Bunting, Carla just ruined it for you. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it's pretty amazing yeah. yeah and if you haven't seen it and you watch the first two minutes and you're like this isn't that funny wait for it because it gets real good yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's amazing uh 
Carla, you want to give this movie a letter grade? Oh, I'm going to go with a C plus. C plus. What does that stand for? <laughs> it stands for Carla grew up and knows that this isn't that great anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Janet, when you, uh, what'd you think of this movie watching it again? I don't think I can, uh, I don't know if I can separate, and I was going to ask you the same question, especially when you watch some of these, these films that you've got on Craigslist. Uh, can you remove yourself from the relationship that you had to it as a younger person? Because I think I decide to hold on to that stuff sentimentally. So I don't know how I would feel about it if I saw it for the first time tomorrow, but because I can't, I don't want to let go of what I loved about it. Um, and because I do like Peter Weir and I want to believe in him. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I I would have given it like an A triple plus when I saw it in the theater and mm. had to wait for everyone to leave. My girlfriend, Martha, and I just were so shattered that like, you know, they, we got kicked out by the guy who was like picking the popcorn up <laughs> after people because we could, we were like, we're unwell. We can't leave. Yeah. Um, that person would have given it an A triple plus. If I saw it tomorrow for the first time, I might give it a C. Mm. So I guess I'm going to have to give it a B plus. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. Average, Average it, out. it out. Yeah. I would say that my emotional connection to it, you know, it, it, it's so, uh, tough not to be that 19 year old kid seeing yeah. it uh, again, uh, be all over again when I watch it. Uh, but I think there's something about doing this podcast where I really have to objectively look at these movies and compare them against each other. And I would say as far as a member of the list, it's borderline. It's right on that cutoff line of like, do I let it in into this movie that I have tremendous affection for and that was so important to me, uh, nearly 30 years ago, uh, but has some serious flaws when you look at it now. But, uh, since we've lost uh, the great Robin Williams, you know, and it, I, it's the only movie with him on my list, you know. I don't have Patch Adams on the list, uh, <laughs> or Aladdin, um, <laughs> that dramedy. Um, uh, I almost want to keep it on just for that and to, uh, to honor his memory because I, I really feel like, I mean, Goodwill Hunting also might be the quintessential Robin Williams oh, performance, yeah, you know, that they kind of go hand in hand. But I, I think he played that so well so many times as like the, the guy with heart who, uh, who inspires you. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll see when we redo the list. It was 75 going in. Now it's right around 9,900 and we'll, we'll, we'll see if it, if it stays on the list. Uh, Janet, one thing we like to do in this podcast is a little segment called Khaki Theater, uh, where we improvise a scene from the movie or a scene that didn't make it into the movie. Okay, great. Uh, so Carla, what were you thinking for this? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we, you, could, we could do a scene about the dad's sacrifices, since that was something oh, you were interested in. Oh, that's good. Okay, I'll be the mom. You be Robert Sean Leonard. Okay, I'll be Neil. You'll be the dad? Sure. And maybe Mr. Keating makes an appearance. <laughs> Neil, do you understand how many sacrifices that I've made for you? Um, No, you say that all the time, but I never hear you actually name any of them. <laughs> Honey, just say yes. Always say yes to your father. No, you know what? I, I'm going to stand up to him for a second. Oh, my what goodness. What sacrifices, Dad? Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, here, take... Well, you're putting me on the spot here. Take this pillow and punch into it and get all of your anger out before you... <laughs> uh, uh, 
Is that what you wanted, mother? Yes. You want to see me punch this pillow? Get my aggressions out? I love you so much. I love you so much. If you're going to... Okay. If you're going to tell me that you sacrifice not buying a punching bag and instead using a pillow, that's not a big enough sacrifice. You know what I do for a living, Neil? I'm a nut cop. (laughs) Oh, he sure is. (laughs) Do you know how hard dogs never sleep, Neil? So a nut cop, by definition, never sleeps. I have to go through towns and find dogs with the largest testicles possible and take them off the street. It is a very exhausting job, sweetheart. Do you know how difficult it is on a nut cop's salary to put you in a prep school? Especially when you're spending all your money on what's clearly meth. (laughs) (laughs) To stay away through your nut cop job. She's not supposed to know about that. I'm a he! He's not supposed to know. (laughs) I'm a puck. No, no. I'm a puck. I'm a puck. You're a girl. You're in a play. You're in a play. I'm I'm very proud of you, by the way. Very good job in your play. You almost look like you were going to tell that to me, but you didn't, and that's why I took my own life. (laughs) Are you a ghost? (laughs) Yeah. I'm Puck the ghost. I'm going to be haunting you forever. Excuse me, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Perry, I'm uh, Mr. Uh, Keating. I'm uh, his uh, teacher at school. Well, you're very handsome. Hey, how you, how you doing? I do some boxing on the side. My, my face won't always look this pretty. Um, I just want to let you know how uh, incredibly inspiring I am. Oh. Uh, uh, okay. You? You inspiring to my boy? To my girl, Neil. Oh, nut cop, my cop. <laughs> Get down off that chair, mother. Oh, sorry. My cop, my cop. Oh, cop, my cop. <laughs> Robo cop, my oh, cop. Something's wrong with this robot settings. <laughs> Scene! <laughs> And, of course, Peter Weir, cut that for time. (laughs) First of all, how about a big hand for Janet Varney, our guest? We love you, Janet. Thank you so much for coming to a live Craigslist podcast. This was so cool. After having done it in our kitchen with our dog eating a bully stick uh, all along. Uh, Carla, next up on the list is number 74. And it's time to get into the films of Mr. Woody Allen. Oh, boy. You are testing me. <laughs> Loaded. And the audience is so inspired, they're standing on their chairs right now. <laughs> to leave the uh, room. <laughs> this movie came out in 1983, and it's a, uh, it's a mock documentary. I don't know if there's another way of putting that, but it's a document. It, pre- it's a, it pretends to be a documentary. Waiting mo- for Guffman. Mockingly. Uh, and uh, this movie is called Zelig. Oh. So, I like this movie. You do like this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to discuss that uh, next week on Craigslist. And uh, thank you, Craig's listeners, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next year on the Joko Cruise. <laughs> Have a great night, everyone. Thanks, you guys. This was so fun. Thank you so much. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.